When you become heaven born, you become heaven bound. And when you become heaven bound, you are called to display heaven's birthmarks. When you are heaven born, which means being born again, and then you are heaven bound, you have a challenge that's upon you. Heaven born and heaven bound people must have heaven's birthmarks. And when you read the Bible, God has given us some clear birthmarks upon the believer if they've been born again. Birthmarks that look like God's family, not like a denomination, not like a religion, and not like a church, but it looks like God. That's what these birthmarks are. And in the book of 1 John, the Apostle John uses the phrase over and over again, born of God, born of God. The book of 1 John uses those. And I want to give you just three quick ones right now um, as we jump into this. The book of 1 John says, here's a birthmark for you. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been what? Born of God. That's a birthmark, which means this. Get this now. Christians are not sinless, but we will sin less and less because we're born again. That's important for us to know that when God comes in and changes you, you're not perfect, but a conviction comes upon you that you can't do the same old thing the same old way, not if the Spirit of God is inside of you. He said, here's another birthmark. John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been what? That's a birthmark. That he puts love inside of them. That folks, the greatest, the greatest way to fight even what, what our country has been going through over years from systemic racism and everything that goes on, folks, is, is be born of God because we're called to love people. That's what we're called to do. He says, if, you, if God is in you, you will love people. Here's what you have to remember. The greatest look of heaven, when you look over this congregation and see some 100 plus nationalities represented, how do you do that? We don't do that. Only God can bring people from all different lifestyles and put them together and say, I will teach you to love one another. Not based on what country you come from or what the color of your skin is. It's because Jesus is inside of your heart and you have been born of God. It's a birthmark. Here's one more, 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who is what? Born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And when you are born of God, there is victory in your life. It's not a life of constant failure. It's a life that God gives us the faith to overcome every single obstacle. That's why today I want to give you a challenge of moving from birth, that born of God part, to growth. Not just being birthed, but to growing. Growth is the evidence of life. That's when you are growing, it means that there is life inside of you. I want to challenge you today to move from belief in God to discipleship today. I want to challenge you not just to believe, but towards discipleship. It's going further in your faith. Let me describe it to you this way. Red Seas leads to Jordan Rivers. Let me explain what that means. 
Both the Red Sea and the Jordan River played an important part in Israel's journey. It was from bondage into their future. Their freedom journey is, I think, is similar to our salvation journey. See, here's what I want you to get. The Red Sea was leaving their past behind, and the Jordan was stepping into their future. It was those two things. Keep that in mind. The Red Sea was leaving their past, but the Jordan was going into their future. Remember this. God parted both bodies of water and made a road through where no path existed. But what's interesting is that miracle did not come the same way. Both bodies of water parted, but it didn't part the same way. Keep it in mind. Red Sea is leaving the past. Jordan is stepping into the future. And here's what we have to keep in mind. The Red Sea miracle came from millions of people standing on a beach. You ready for this? Doing nothing but watching God open up a Red Sea. Remember the, remember the words in Exodus 14, 13? Stand still. You can't do this on your own. Only God can open up those waters. Stand still and see the salvation of God. But the Jordan miracle was different. The priests and the people were called to step into the water. And in fact, he says, priests, I want you to go to the middle of the Jordan. And when you get there and the people put their feet in the water, then those waters will part. See, you didn't get wet in the Red Sea crossing, but you got your feet wet in order to cross the Jordan. What are you saying, Pastor Tim? That I think in order to go forward into your future, you're going to have to step into some deep water, knowing that if I go forward, it may not feel like it's parted just yet, but give God time. As you say, I want to go forward into victory, I'm telling you, when you step, take a step forward, God will make a path where no path existed. God will open up ways that never exist. I think that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is getting your feet wet. See, belief is standing on the, the, the Red Sea shore and going, God, I can't do this. You couldn't, you couldn't save yourself. There's not a church, there's not a religion, there's not a pastor, a priest, an imam, there's not a rabbi that can save you. Only God can save you. It's stand still and see the salvation of God. But that's not the end of your journey. You're going to have to, in this relationship with God, if you want to go from birth to growth, if you want to go into a new place with God of victory, then you're going to have to get your feet wet today. It's time for some of you to move from forgiveness to victory today. God got you out of the slavery of sin. Now it's time to go into a victorious future with God. Because when we follow Jesus, our whole life changes. Alexander the Great was one of the great military generals of all history, lived and conquered almost all of the entire known world with his vast army. And I was reading the story that one night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep and left his tent to walk around the campgrounds. And as he was walking, he came across a soldier that was sleeping on the night watch. And that was a serious offense. The penalty for falling asleep when you're supposed to be on guard is death. They even said that sometimes 
if they found a sentry sleeping on his watch, they would literally pour kerosene on him and light him on fire. It was that, it was that big of an offense. And now you have the general that found you sleeping. The soldier began to wake as Alexander the Great approached him and recognizing who was standing in front of him, the young man feared for his life. And Alexander said, the great said, do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? And the soldier said, yes, sir. And soldier, he asked the young man, he says, what's your name? And the young man said, Alexander, sir. And he goes, what's your name? He goes, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at that young soldier that bore his name, and he said this. He said, soldier, change your name or change your conduct. And folks, that's what discipleship is. That's what happens. Behavior must follow belief. You don't just say yes to Jesus and no to everything else. When you say yes to Jesus and he is Lord of our life, it is always yes to Jesus. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, as Paul writes to this new church who said yes to Christ. If this, their, their new birth, he says, was given to you in Christ. Now look at these next words. That in everything you were enriched. That when you said yes to Christ, every part of your life was enriched and touched by God. Speech, knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ concerning Christ was confirmed in you. That phrase, in everything you were enriched. See, that's, what's going, that's what going forward is. That's what discipleship is. That's what stepping into the Jordan is, getting your feet wet in this relationship with Christ, is everything of your life becomes different because of who Jesus is. Every part of our life. Do you know that I was reading just a couple days ago that the planet Mercury is the hottest planet. It says it's 700 degrees Fahrenheit on that planet. And it says Pluto, which got downgraded from a planet um, a few years ago, is negative 370 degrees, the coldest of all of, of, all of those constellations of, of Fahrenheit. And the difference is this. Mercury is closest to the sun. Pluto is furthest from the sun. The further you get from the sun, the colder you become. But the closer you get to the sun, the hotter you get. See, discipleship gets you closer to the sun. And so that's why you can have some Mercury Christians and you can have some Pluto Christians. See, Mercury steps into the Jordan. Pluto is happy just to stand and get through the Red Sea. But I'm telling you, I want to be on fire for Jesus. I want God, when worship comes, I want mercury worship. I want to be on fire. When we're led in worship, hands are going. When Elder Vicky is asking the question, who's on the Lord's side? I'm not waiting for any of you to stand up. I'm on the Lord's side. Because we have to understand. But then... then let me just tell you, I'll just throw this in there for, for, you may say they're Pluto Christians and Mercury Christians, but hold on, there may be some planet Earth Christians because it's the Earth that can be cold and hot. And I don't want any part of that. 
put me in a hot place on fire for God. See, something interesting happens. You see this Mercury and Pluto working together at the Last Supper. And you can see it in their speech. Listen to Matthew 26. When the Bible says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly one of you is going to betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, surely not I, what does it say? Lord. And he answered, he said, he who dips his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The son of man is to go just as is written of him. But woe to that man whom the son of man has betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Let me, let me ask you this. Who was the one that betrayed him? Okay, very good, especially that section. Listen to this for just a moment. Here's what it says. And Judas, who is betraying him, said, surely it is not I, what? Isn't it interesting? The disciples said, Lord, but he said, Rabbi. You know what Rabbi means? Teacher. Because there are some people that will come to church that like teaching, but they don't want him to be Lord. They said, you can sit here and teach us all you want, Pastor Tim. You can go through A through Z, and you can come up with a whole bunch of other letters. You can go from one to a hundred, and we like the teaching, and you like rabbi, but you don't want Lord. Because when he's Lord, there is no options. He gets the final say and has veto rights, whatever he wants to do. See, that's why Judas enjoyed the teacher, but didn't call him Lord. Folks, I want to promise you something. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then he's going to tell you things you don't agree with. If you don't believe that, then let me just tell you something. Then you're not walking with him. Because when you walk with him, he's going to go, mm -mm. don't say that. How many have ever been in that position before? I, I like what the great, the great Christian of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, said. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I could have got that out of a bottle of wine. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, he says, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Because he knows if you are going to serve Christ and he is the Lord of your life, he is going to come after things. Listen to me. I want you to hear this clearly. You can come to Jesus while you're messed up. You can come to Jesus sleeping with your boyfriend. You can come to Jesus addicted to drugs and addicted to porn. You can come to Jesus with a horrible mouth using foul language. You can come to Jesus living a sexual life not pleasing to God. You can come to Jesus lying and cheating. You can come to Jesus. But if you're going to walk with Jesus, he is not going to allow you to continue on with those areas of your life. I don't care what anybody tells you. He won't let you. Not if he's Lord. He won't let you. If Jesus lives in your heart, trust me, he's going to say something. He is going to say something. Here is what the Apostle Paul says you do to become heaven-born and heaven-bound. Listen to it, Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be for with a heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. See, when you confess Jesus as Lord, 
then here is the challenge that you, that, you, that you and I have. In fact, let me say it this way. It is the most embarrassing question Jesus has ever asked. And here it is. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Why do you call me master, the one in charge, the boss, the president, you want to call me Lord, but you won't do what I say. This is what discipleship is. This is the challenge for all of us. To call Jesus Lord means to do what Jesus says. If Jesus is Lord, then he calls us to get our feet wet with discipleship. See, Christianity works when we are all in. And Jesus, in the chapter that we're going to go through today, in these next few moments, is about to thin out the crowds with lordship. He is going to turn the multitudes into disciples. And it's going to have to be by choice. He's going to take the Red Sea people and say, who wants to be Jordan people? Listen, listen as we start in Luke 14. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Listen to what happens. Now, great multitudes were going along with him. And he turned and he said to them, stop right there. Because he is about to give in the next 10 verses or 9 verses discipleship talk, Jordan talk, got to get your feet wet talk. It's amazing to me because let me, let me just speak about preachers like myself. Preachers, it's easy that as the crowds grow to back off from your message and dealing with anything that, is, that needs to be spoken to from a biblical context. But Jesus does the opposite. His message gets stronger as the crowds grow bigger. He is not going like, hey, we got to keep the numbers up. We got to keep doing this. Jesus goes, let me go right for the juggler. Jesus thins out the crowd with a discipleship challenge. Always keeping in mind, listen, folks, salvation is free, but discipleship has a cost to it. Salvation is free, but discipleship has a cost. Now watch how, what he begins to say to the multitudes. Here it comes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother. Now, folks, this is not good multitude preaching. This is, this is about to thin out the crowds. If you don't hate your own mother, your father, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my what? Disciple. Look at it. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my what? For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to finish it, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king, when he goes out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter someone coming in with, to him with 20,000, or else while the other is still far away and sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my, what does it say? Who does not give up all of his possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if salt has become tasteless, what will it be seasoned with? It's useless either for the soil or for the manure pile, and it is thrown out. He who has ears let him hear. Always keep this in mind. The entrance fee into the kingdom of heaven costs you nothing, but the annual subscription is everything. 
entrance fee doesn't cost you a dime. Saved by grace. But if you want to be a disciple, it will cost you everything. Three times Jesus says, if you don't just subscribe to this, then you cannot be my disciple. Jesus speaks to the crowd wanting to cut it into disciples. Cutting into those that want to add growth to their belief. He's, he's speaking to those that are going, you, you heard Red Sea stuff, but now it's time to step into a Jordan and get your feet wet. The church, what he was challenging us is, could be full of crowds. Online could be full of listeners and watchers. But the church today doesn't have many disciples that are all in. And that's going to be the challenge today. See, Jesus identifies disciples by five traits. And I want you to jot these down. We're going to go through them fast today. He identifies as five traits that are here in this. He says there will be a strange comparison that will happen. Number two, a daily crucifixion. Number three, you're going to have to have calculated construction. Number four, a constant conflict. And number five, there's going to be a distinct contrast. There's going to be a comparison, a crucifixion, a construction, a conflict, and a contrast. Let me give them to you again. A comparison, a crucifixion, a construction, a conflict, and a contrast is what Jesus says. He says there's going to be a comparison, that you're going to, need a you're going to have a love so strong with God that all of the attachments that you have in this life are going to be accused of hatred. There's going to be a daily dying to self under crucifixion. There's going to be under construction. You're going, to, you're going to be called to build a life for the glory of God, regardless of what it's going to cost you. You are going to be in conflict. Be willing to fight the enemies of the cross and stand when nobody else wants to stand. And finally, a contrast, living a life of distinction. Now, folks, for those that are sitting here today, I'm not here to question your Red Sea decision. That's not me. That's not for me to, to, to question. The day you prayed to be born again, that's between you and God. But I want to challenge you today with a Jordan River future. That's the decision to go further. I want you to cross both bodies of water. I want you to get through not only the Red Sea, but I want to get you right through the Jordan into a promised land where God begins to use you and do, does some amazing things. Many of those who have prayed the born-again prayer have dry feet, and now it's time to get wet feet and a step where God wants us to go today. So let's go through this as we challenge. We're, the series is called The Bible Says. It's a biblical worldview from A to Z. As soon as we finish today, we only have 22, oh, help me, Jesus, 22 more weeks to go. But here's the thing. Every week this gets compiled, and we are going to get this in your hands as we get to, the, hopefully, by the, by the winter, as we get ready to go. But let me go through this with you today, because as soon as we finish, we send this right over to Los Angeles, which all the editing is done. So every single week, this will all be done. And so thank you as we go on this journey together. So here's the first one. It's called a strange comparison. It's having a love so strong for God that people think you hate them. And I want to explain this to you. It's having a love so strong. It's a strange comparison that Jesus gives. So strong for God that people think you hate them. Let me explain. I've told my wife, Cindy, this. I said, Cindy, you are the second most important voice in my life next to Jesus. So I, I said, it doesn't mean I dislike Cindy because she's second, but I tell her that to know that her voice matters, but her voice is not first. 
It's second, and underneath that, my children are important. All those voices are important in my life. But what Jesus says, what the Bible says is first. Now, folks, stay with me. See, if I'm in a discussion or a debate with Cindy on what color to paint our apartment, and she wants to paint it New York Jets green, listen, I'm going to raise my concerns, but I'm going to let her win the argument. If you want to paint it green, I'll wake up every morning feeling like we're camping. That's fine. I'll pretend I'm in a forest. I'm okay with that. But you paint it whatever you want. But if she wakes up and says, I don't feel like I want to tithe anymore, she loses. God's word wins at that point because here's what happens. Listen, folks, because Jesus is the first voice, Cindy is second. Jesus' hate talk for family is not actually hate, but it's a preparation for the accusation that when second voices want to be first voices. You staying with me? That's what he's saying. He's saying, watch out, because as soon as you say Jesus is Lord, all the second voices want to go back up to first voices. You staying with me now? This is so important. What Jesus is saying this is Jesus comes before any relationship. Let me be clear. If you want to be a disciple, Jesus comes before any relationship. Jesus was not giving his disciples a command to hate, but a challenge to love God so much that people would accuse you and say, you don't love us anymore. Don't miss this. Because this is such an important part. It's not separation from family. It's separation from former first voices. Everybody with me so far? It's separation from, well, we told you this. We brought you up this way. We did all this stuff. But not if he's Lord. You're going, I love you. I trust you. You're important. But your second voice. Because in lordship, in discipleship, Jesus' voice is first. If anything you were told is contrary to this, this has to win. Listen, Jesus, I want to read it to you out of the NLT version. And it says, because I love the word comparison. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, what's the next word? By comparison, hate everyone else. Mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. See, you will, once this word trumps everything else, you'll be labeled. You hate your family. You hate your roots. You hate your own people. You hate your fraternity brothers. You hate your sister. You hate your race. You hate your country. Listen, the moment you become heaven bound and you become a Christian, heaven born, and if you're sitting here today, I want you to listen carefully, watching online. And if, here, here's an example. And if you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you become heaven bound because you're heaven born, here is a birthmark. When you go to them and say, we can't live like this anymore. They're going to say, you don't love me because you're moving out, which your response is no, or, or they're going to, is 
They may even look at you and say, you don't like me anymore. And you can say, you're absolutely right. I don't like you anymore. I love you with the correct love that I'm supposed to have for you, which means I want to do this the right way because you just went from first voice to second voice. And here's what I want you to know. It's not that I hate you. It's I want Jesus to be Lord of our lives right now and him to be in charge. But folks, listen, I get, I get heat from that. People will try to talk me. Listen, it's because God says it. This is God's word that says it. You want to be a disciple? You want to get your feet wet? He is going to upset your life. Listen, it could be as simple as some of you came to church on Christmas Day and the family's going, you don't love us anymore. You can't give up one day at church on Christmas Day just to be with us. You love church more than us. That's not true. I love Jesus more than you. That's what the truth is. And because I love him, I get to love you correctly now. I get to love you the right way. See, if you are a Christian, listen, or ask yourself this question. Is there anything that Jesus doesn't have lordship over, but then you're not his disciple? Because he has to have lordship over every area, every single area. I told you this isn't going to be easy. You probably won't be back next week, but I'm just doing it. It's okay. It doesn't matter. But you should be because we're going to deal with heaven and hell. So you should be back next week. Okay, this is Jesus' talk as the crowd swelled. He was, it, it amazes me that soon as it says a multitude gathered, he goes, let me go for the juggler. This is what he says. He says, now there's going to be a daily crucifixion. Realizing that there are old things that don't need to be fixed in my life. They just need to die in my life. You can't fix things that are supposed to die. He calls it a daily crucifixion. There was an old classic Christian book that has affected so many lives. I've met her. She has spoken for us in Detroit. Her name was Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote a book called Through Gates of Splendor. On January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliot and four other missionaries went down to Ecuador to reach a tribe of Alka Indians that have never heard the gospel before. And while they came in contact with the Alka Indians, the Indians that they, were gonna, that they were bringing the gospel to, when they met them for the very first time, they were all speared to death. All four of them lost their lives while the wives were keeping in touch with them by a radio, a ham radio, from, from the center city, Quito. The story was made into a movie called The End of the Spear. And all four missionaries, when they finally flew over the area, saw them floating on the Carare River. They were floating down there with spears inside, uh, in, their, in their backs. When Elizabeth Elliot was told by radio about the tragedy that Jim has died, Jim Elliot is dead, she said, Jim didn't die there. Jim didn't die there. And they kept telling her, Jim has died. And she kept responding, Jim didn't die there. They thought it was denial by Elizabeth Elliot. They thought it was denial from shock. And then Elizabeth finished what she said. Elizabeth Elliot said this. She said, Jim didn't die in the river, the Carreri River. Jim died at an altar at Wheaton College many years prior when he surrendered everything to Jesus. It says that's where he died. 
Those spears didn't take his life. He was already dead. So how can a man take his life? He's already died to these things. Jim Elliott wrote those famous words, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim died at an altar in Wheaton College. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? See, Jesus says this, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That cross was an instrument of capital punishment. It wasn't an ornament to be worn around the neck. There was nobody in that time that if you talked about carrying a cross, their connotation would be as, as, as shocking as someone talking about wearing an electric chair on a charm around their neck. It'd be ridiculous. That's what you talk about. If you, you, nobody wore a cross on their neck because it was a capital punishment and something and somebody died when you talked about the cross. Discipleship is a death to self and selfishness. That's what, that's what discipleship is. The more a man dies to himself, the more he lives for God. We have a Christianity today that caters to opinions and self-interest when Christianity is actually dying to self. It's the reason why so many are in the church have not moved forward, have no forward progress because they don't come to the end of themselves. They want to find places that allow self to live. Folks, listen, God will not bring you into your future. He will bring the new transformed you into the future. So many multitudes are trying to give God orders and interfering with his work. And God goes, the only work is this, die to self. Die to selfishness. The Christian life is a series of deaths and funerals from the beginning to the end. Listen to these verses. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the real life, the real life I now have within this body is a result of me trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says it like this in Romans 6.11. Look at these words. So look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. And instead be alive to God, alert to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not let sin control your puny body any longer. And do not give in to its sinful desires. And don't let any part of your body become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning. But give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. For you are back from the dead. And you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. Hallelujah. The great, the great Christian writer A.W. Tozer said there's four marks of a crucified man. Got these down quick or just take quick pictures of them. Number one, he says, anyone who chooses the cross, he is facing in one direction. He can never turn back. That is either to look back or to get off. He is nailed there. Number two, his future is fixed. When a person chooses a cross and he's dying, he no longer has any more plans of his own. Number three, he no longer controls his own destiny. He lost control when you picked up the cross. God is in charge of your future now. And number four, he is defenseless. He is naked and anything can be said to him, done to him, and he cannot retaliate back. When you choose the cross, you say, God, you are in charge of my life. What does it mean? What is the, to, to take up a cross? Let me give you the best definition. You won't see this on the screen. 
And maybe we'll get it up for the one o'clock service, but listen to what it means to take up your cross. The cross is any discomfort that comes to my life as a result of my non-negotiated commitment to follow after Christ. When I choose to follow him, things are going to go haywire in other places. But that's okay. Because I've chosen to carry that cross. Augustine was one of the most important people in church history around the 4th century. He lived a life of immorality. Let me tell you what the cross means. Here it is. After Augustine's conversion, he was walking down the street of Milan and he was accosted by a prostitute who he had known intimately before he became a Christian. And as he was walking, this new creation who's walked into the Jordan and said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. The prostitute saw him weeks later and she called out his name and she said, Augustine, it is I, the prostitute said. And without even slowing down, Augustine says, yes, but it is no longer I. I'm a brand new man in Jesus. That's what it is to die to self. It's no longer I, but Christ lives in me. He was spiritually dead even though he was physically alive. That's why dying to self is I am now unresponsive to sin. That's what dying to self is. That's why I really believe, according to the Bible, that we are fighting to stay alive when Christ is saying, you need to die. It's like we're fighting to be zombies, and God's going, no, 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 die. Let this stuff die inside of you. The great Chinese writer Watchman Nee said it like this, God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening the old man, but crucifying him. Not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. It's a crucifixion. Listen to the words of the old Christian the, uh, orphanage director, George Mueller, when he said this, he says, there was a day when I died. I died to self, my opinions, preferences, taste, and will. Died to the world, its approval and censure. Died to the approval or blame of even my own brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied to show myself only approved unto God. Whenever Jesus speaks about us carrying a cross, it's an invitation to die to self and selfishness. Not physical death, but old life, old thinking, old ways. Jesus died on the cross. This is a cross to our selfish nature. That's why, here it comes, folks. Get this, get this. Here it is. When you come to Christ, you are no longer the most important person in the world. Jesus is. That's what it is. Dying to self is you coming to this conclusion. I'm not the most important. That's why when people go, hey, listen, I'm getting a divorce because God wants me happy. No, he wants you to die to self. Stop with that divorce stuff. I'm serious. If your reason is God always wants me happy. No, he wants you to die to self, old ways and old thinking. Thank you for those five claps. Listen, I know I'm thinning out the crowd. I'm good with this. Listen, I'm staying right along Scripture. So if you have a problem, it's not with me. It's Jesus' message. So if, if you don't want to die to self, I'm going to keep coming at you until Christ. Because I'm not the most important. Jesus is the most important person. You're going to make me work today. It's okay. I'm going to work. Here we go. 
Number three, it's a calculated construction. It's building a life for the glory of God, regardless of what it might cost me. He talks about that little part about counting the cost before you build something. It's the famous story when Cortez landed at Veracruz in 1519, when he was starting his conquest of Mexico with his 700 men. And he looked over into the, into the water and he said, burn the ships. 11 ships are all burned. 11 ships. His men on the shore watched their only ways of retreating sink to the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico. And their only way they can go is by moving forward. And in order for us to go forward in this relationship with God, you have to burn the ships. Discipleship is going, we don't go, we calculated that going forward is better than going backwards. That's what discipleship is. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that is about burning the ships. Listen to what Hebrews talks about this life of faith. This is a great verse. It says, if their hearts, talking about people of faith, were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back for their hearts. Parentheses, burn the ships. We're fixed on what was far greater, a heavenly realm. They, they said, we don't go backwards, we go forwards. So here's how Jesus speaks about the calculation. Look at it, verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Or otherwise, when he laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus uses the building of a tower and going through the plans and counting the cost in order to be part of true discipleship. He says, you don't, you're not going into this blindly. You're gonna count the cost. Folks, listen, listen, listen. I knew, I knew what it was gonna cost us to move my whole family up here to New York City in the middle of a pandemic. I knew what it was gonna cost us. I knew, Cindy and I prayed. I knew the cost would come to my marriage, my children, my personal life, the attacks that would come. I knew what it was going to be to move to New York City and to TSC. Cindy and I counted the cost, and we knew a lot of the battles we were going to face. Some of them we didn't expect, but a lot that were going to come our way. Because we knew as we were going to try to, to lengthen the nets and the, and, the, and the tent cords of this place and say, we don't want to open up just the doors of the church. We want to open up every door around the world. We knew that was not going to go unchallenged, but not just unchallenged by the devil, but it's amazing that how many Red Sea people who won't get their feet wet were all going, what are you doing in the Jordan River? And I'm going, we're in the Jordan River, and it's going to part at some point. I don't know when it's going to part, but this river is going to open up for us as we go. Why do you think, why do you think when you see all those people that are watching just on you, what, what, what is that? Because we took a chance. We said to step into New York City was to step into the Jordan. It was to die to self. It was to simply say, God, this is not about us. And it's been difficult. It has been the hardest, the most, the most fulfilling, but the hardest thing. My, my, my mind went back when I kept thinking about counting the cost, how hard this has been. My mind went back to an old movie. But, and Tom Hanks says to this baseball team, he says, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. Hard is what makes it great. Let me just tell you something. It is hard. But let me tell you something. It's supposed, if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. 
And sometimes there's hard decisions. Sometimes there's hard separations. Sometimes there's hard arrows that come at you. But every single time, God is there and God goes with us every single time. Every single time. People are going to look going like, oh, did you count the cost? I was reading this story of William, in 1904 of William Borden, who was the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He graduated from a Chicago high school as a millionaire. Oh my goodness. High school millionaire. I'm going like, wow. And then what his parents gave him for his for his grad, high school graduation, a trip around the world. I got a hundred bucks. <laughs> but that hundred dollar check was like a, around the world to me. Somebody going like, when were you born? 1904? Okay, listen. And it said as William was traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, God gave William a burden for souls. And writing home, he told his mom and dad, I'm going to live the rest of my life preparing to go onto the mission field. He was leaving the money, bored in dairy, leaving it all behind. And when he made his decision, he wrote, he opened up his Bible and put in the back of his Bible these words. He put, no, he said, he says, no reserves. No reserves. And then all of a sudden, he turned down a high-paying job after he finished graduating Yale University to prepare him for the mission field. And when he graduated from there, all these people started offering him all these high-paying jobs as one of the boarding kids. And underneath no reserves, he wrote this, no retreats. And then he went over to Egypt to get ready to go into China. And while he was there, William Borden was stricken with cerebral meningitis died within a month, and just before he died, he would open up the back of his Bible, and there was, three, there was three statements in there, and it said this, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. I counted the cost. I counted the cost. To be a disciple, people are going to accuse you that you don't love them anymore but they're fighting to be the first voice again. When you choose to become a disciple, he becomes the most important person in the world, not you. When you choose to become a disciple, you're going to calculate the cost, and you're going to begin to be able to say, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Let me, let me finish with this. I know I have a fifth one to go, but I don't even know if we're going to be able to get there, but... We'll let, we'll let it go into the, all the writings and stuff as the team comes up. Number four, there's a constant conflict. It's a willingness to fight enemies of the cross. Now, folks, I have to tell you, I've got, I've got this. Um, for those that are visiting with us from out of the country and those that are watching from around the world and around the U.S., if I could just take a moment to be, to be a zip code preacher for just a second. I want, to, I want to tell you a burden that's on my heart. So I want to be a 10019 preacher right now for just a moment. So allow me to give a little bit of a New York twist to this. I have got this renewed passion to pray for the mayor of New York City. I'm telling you, I pray for my leaders. 
But I, last week, he stood up boldly and said, I don't believe in separation of church and state. He said, he said, and, and he took a blast from it. He said, this state needs the church. They need God in it. They need God in it. And then, talk about a battle. He didn't even back off. Can I show you this week? I brought it up. I, I never do this. I just want the Bible up here. But I did bring up the daily news. And so, Adam's aims to make New York City a place of God. That's what he said. Listen to these words. Listen to what he said. He said, Mayor Adams called on New Yorkers to, tra to transform the city into a place for God. This is what he says. He says, how does one reshape New York City into a place that, that exudes an, a, 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 a faith in God? How do you take a city that is the center of power in America and turn it into a city like this? He said, our challenge is now is not economics. Our challenge is not finance. Our challenge is that people have lost their faith. That's what he said. He declared, he declared he doesn't believe in separation of church and state. And Adam's, Adam's background, he's a, Pente he's, an, he's a Pentecostal from the Church of God in Christ that begins to say we need to bring. And said in an interview just last week, it was like he read Pastor, I don't know if he read Pastor Carter's book, he, he, called the church, he called the city, he goes, it's time to pray. That's what he said in the thing. Folks, I got this renewed, and, and listen, instead of him backing off, he went full, he kept going. Can, can we just, would you allow us to just pray for him right now? Come on, let's just pray. Father, for our mayor right now, I pray, Father, give him strength. God, it, it's a constant battle. People are going to go after him. He has, he has put on the armor of God. And Father, I'm praying, let, let Jesus come to this city. Let there be an outpouring of God's Spirit in this city. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, the trumpet still plays the notes of war. Speaking to the church, you can't sit down and put the victory wreath on in your head. You don't have a crown yet. You have to wear a helmet and carry a sword. That's what a discipleship is. It says you must watch and pray and fight. Expect your last battle to be the most difficult for the enemy's fiercest charge is reserved for the end of the days. To live the Christian life is a, is a conflict. You're a soldier. Jesus said the disciples must be ready to fight even when it looks like the odds are against them. Look at it. Look what he says. Jesus says, what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough? Notice the odds with 10,000 men, and he's about to encounter two to one, 20,000 men. But can I just remind you for a moment, in that story, you'll always seem to be outnumbered two to one, three to one, four to one. But here's the good news. God and you are still a majority. God, so if it's just you by yourself, you're still a majority. See, one of the men that has greatly influenced my life is a man is, a, is, a, is long gone to be with the Lord. He's, he's, Brother Dave introduced me to, and I'm so thankful. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. He wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries and a number of other books. And Brother Len used to say this. He said, my main ambition in life is to be on the devil's most wanted lists. Can I, can I just tweak that a little, for a moment? The moment you become a Christian, you're on the most wanted list. You're going to fight the devil. You're going to fight the flesh. 
You're going to fight the world. You're going to fight to pray. You're going to fight to tithe. You're going to fight to read the Bible. You're going to fight for your children's salvation. You're going to fight for peace in your home. You're going to fight for joy in your life. You're going to fight for your marriage. Everything is a fight, but it's a good fight according to the Bible. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. He says at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course and I've kept the faith. Folks, I'm telling you, the crowds will make you cowards. They'll make you compromisers and they'll make you cautious. But discipleship puts you in a constant battle. But there are promised victories. Zimbabwe, listen to me now. Zimbabwe, listen, listen. Because I got this letter that I found from a young pastor in Zimbabwe who was killed for his faith some decades ago. Let me read to you that before this pastor in Zimbabwe was killed for his faith decades ago, he wrote this letter to the church that still circulates today. I want to read to you. Talk about a fighter. Listen to this. Talk about a disciple. Listen to this letter. Talk about someone who's not only stepped into the Jordan, but is on the other side of the Jordan. Listen to this pastor just days before he's about to be martyred for his faith. He wrote this to the church of Jesus Christ. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I stepped over the line and the decision has been made. I'm a disciple. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, and worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need to be preeminent, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or even rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in his presence, walk by patience, lifted up in prayer, labor with power. Listen to this. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. And he says this, I can't be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I'm not going to flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, meander in the maze of mediocrity, and here it comes. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cross of Christ. I am a disciple. I must go till he comes give till I drop, preach till everybody knows, work till he stops me, and when I'm finally done, I will be able to say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! I'm a disciple. Hallelujah! Stand with me. Hallelujah! I'm a disciple. Folks, Stay with the multitudes. I'm going into a Jordan. I'm getting my feet wet. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. I pray you take that step. It's a, it's a fight. It's a comparison, a strange comparison. You don't love us. You chose, you chose this over. And they'll blame the church for everything. It's just going, no, no, no. It's my relationship with Christ. 
It's me believing this. I believe this. And they'll try to come and they'll all of a sudden begin to keep self alive. It's a crucifixion. I'm not the most important person in the world. Jesus is. Everything else is a second voice. Second and third and fourth. And try, just try to be the first voice of my life. It's a losing battle with me. I've already realized I've, I've got one voice that matters above all other voices. It's the voice of Jesus. It's a calculated construction with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Constant conflict. Jesus just says, it's a battle. It's two to one against me. Everybody's against me. And that's why I realized there will come a distinct contrast. That's the last thing Jesus said. He said, you have to be salt. You have to be distinct. Folks, the church has destroyed her influence by her compromise. We thought, we thought that if we can drink and curse like the world does, they'll be drawn to us. Stop it. Be distinct. So tired of that. Oh, we want them to feel comfortable, so we'll go to the bars with them. Stop it. David Wilkerson called it sipping saints. Stop it. Listen to me. I'm so tired of this. And people go, oh, legalistic. No, no, no. It's called discipleship. Listen, I, I, I know I'm going to get, listen, I know, I know it's coming my way. I'm ready. I am so ready for you. Let me tell you why I'm so ready for you. Here it comes. I'm so ready for you because I don't care. That's why I'm so ready for you. I just don't care anymore. It's going to be a testimony on this. And so while everybody is sipping their cocktails on the Red Sea, you don't sip them when you go through the Jordan. Because you can't win. You can't win with a cocktail. And you can't win with cursing on your lips and just going and call it the liberty of Christ. Let me just tell you something, folks. It's a distinct the church has lost its influence because we invited people and going, we're just like you. We're not like you, but we can offer you something that is so unlike anything you've ever experienced before. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Oh, you can, I know some of you are fuming. I'm so happy. I really am. No offense, then there's no effect. No offense, then there's no effect. My youth pastor, when I was 17 years old, gave me a book. It was a missionary book. The name of it was called Bruco. I'm not telling you to read the book. The book's amazing. But it was what was on the fly leaf. It changed me. It was my Jordan day. And he wrote this to a 17-year-old kid that didn't even graduate high school yet. I have that book in my library, and my books are up at Summit right now. And this is what he said. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man, wholly committed to him. And then he wrote, Tim, you could be that man. That affected a 17-year-old kid. That's what we need to hear. That's what students need to hear. Not like, be like let's, let's, just, let's just bring everything out there and put it right in there. Come on, stop. Jesus said the salt is good, but if the salt becomes tasteless, 
then what will it be seasoned with? It's useless. It's, he says it's for the soil, for a manure pile. Salt was meant, there was no refrigerators. It was supposed to preserve things from getting corrupted. I don't want to bring people into the church and see corruption come in. I want to see them preserved, distinct, and used for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but anybody want to go through the Jordan River with me and just go, let's get our feet wet. Let's get our feet wet. Let's get our feet wet on this. Come on, lift your hands and say, we want to get our feet wet today. Come on, lift those hands up today. God, send us through the Jordan today. Send us through the Jordan, oh God. I pray for daily crucifixion. I pray, Lord God, a love that's so intense for you that we're going to be challenged by the closest people in our life. A calculated construction going, God, it's worth the cost, even though there's constant battles. Hallelujah, there's promised victories. And make your church distinct today, oh God. Oh God, help us. Help us, God. Help us, God. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets, oh God. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let me give you both an apology and a challenge today. My apology is this. I know I've preached long. I don't care. Some of you are going like, you're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be 30 minutes, and you're not a preacher. You're a communicator. Oh, stop it. I'm not a communicator. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I am. I'm not a communicator. I'm not. Let me be honest. Listen, I'm not pandering to the crowd. I'm so tired of pulpits becoming TED Talks and to try to get you out just in time and to go, let's package it in 17. I've struggled with going, do I do part one and part two? Do I do part one? I just said, listen, let them sit here and let them listen. If I'm going to get you through the Jordan, I got to get you there. I got to get you there. I don't care anymore. I just don't. Folks, look at me. I'm an old guy. I'm getting gray. I'm, I'm and, and just I'm fighting. Listen, I, I I'm ready to go be with Jesus, but I'm just asking God, just give me 22 more weeks to get through letter Z, and then just take me home at that point. Just 22 more weeks. At that point, you're on your own. I <laughs> just whatever happens at that point. I just want to get this done and just and just whatever God wants and get into the whatever whatever God has. But here's the part. So no. no I, my apology is not for going long, but I, I thought, God, do I invite people to get for the Jordan? If I invited you to come to the Jordan, this is such a great church. All of you would come down. All of you would come down. Not all, but there'd be some Red Sea people still out there that just, I get it. I'm not worried about that. So let's, let's get people, let's get souls saved today, okay? Let's get some people through to leave their past, past of sin, past it says, I want to go to heaven. I want to live for God. But I'm not calling you just to believe. I'm saying, and I want to really make the numbers small today. Here we go. If you, I, I, this is going to be the worst salvation altar call ever, okay? If you are saying, I want, I want God in my life. I want that. I'm ready. I'm ready to leave my past of sin. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you to follow Jesus today. To say, Pastor Tim, that's what I want. I'm telling you today, there's, there's not a church, a mosque, a religion, a synagogue, a cathedral that can set you free from your only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. He died on the cross that you can be set free today. 
But I want to challenge you not just to believe that he can forgive you of your sin, but to say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go today. I'll go wherever you want me to go. If that's you and say, Pastor Tim, I want, I'm, I'm ready to go the journey. I want to be a Christian and I want to be a disciple. I want God to come into my life and I'm ready because what was out there didn't change it, but I want God in my life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Say, pray for me. Pray for me. Keep the hand. Hold. Okay, put your, it's too many hands. Put them, put them all down because maybe you didn't hear me. Okay, let me just be really clear. Before you raise your hands, you're saying, I want it all. I don't want to just believe. I want, to, I want Red Sea, Jordan. I want everything that God has for me. I want, I want to be a Christian and a disciple and do it all. Balcony, main floor. If that's you, hold up your hand high. Hold it up. You're out of your mind. Okay, so here's what, if that's you, if you raised your hand for that, now, okay, let, let me even make it harder. This will thin some of you. Get out of your seat and walk down here right now, quickly. If you're saying, I want, I want God in my life, that'll thin some of you out because you raised your hand too fast. Balcony, if you have any guts, I know I'm challenging you, I'm calling you out. Then get out of your seat, walk down that, we'll wait for you. Okay, this is way too many people. I'm trying to thin this, I'm thin this out. Come on, come on, come on. I'm so happy you're here. You say, no, I want you to be right here. I want you to be right here. You don't have to apologize. Come on, come on, if that's you, come on. If you're saying, I want, this is what I want. This is what I want. Come on, come on, balcony. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, God. Oh, it makes my heart rejoice to see all, to say, listen, I want all that God has for my life. Our workers are going to get ready to come. I know we have still coming from the balcony. Come on, you guys come. Those are, we want you to make your way in here and, and get down. So listen, you're making the greatest decision of your life. We're challenging you. We are challenging you to not only leave your past, but to step into your future. That's what we're doing, to leave your past, to go, I, I get not only to be free, those tears, all those tears, that's just God going, past is done. But he has a future for you, sweetheart. He has a future for you. He has a future for you. And he's going to do something very special for you. I know balcony's coming quickly. Listen. Come on, you guys, move in. Move in. I want to make sure we get everybody down here. We get everybody down. This excites my heart. I didn't think you had it. I don't think, I didn't think we had that many that were going to go. We want to be believers and disciples. Growth is the evidence of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. This looks You're making the greatest decision. Can we all pray this together? Come on, pray this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. I'm crossing a Red Sea, and I'm going to the Jordan. So today I declare, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. 
and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.